Hey, I'm Mike. I'm Grant. Welcome back to Create Pod. We're continuing our season two interview series with Brian Salisbury. Brian is one half of one of my favorite podcasts here in Austin, the cult movie show, Junk Food Cinema. Brian co-hosts the show with C. Robert Cargill, a writer and former film critic here in Austin who's written a number of novels and movies, including Marvel's Doctor Strange. It's Sinister. Oh, yeah, Sinister. Yeah, Sinister. That's that was a good, good one. one. Yeah. So we wanted to talk to Brian because not only is he a very successful veteran podcaster, Junk Food Cinema has going, been going for years, but Junk Food Cinema is fueled primarily by Brian and Cargill's passion for cult and exploitation movies. Like their only motive is to share their deep, deep affection for culty movies like Deep Blue Sea, Piranha, Killer Clowns from Outer Space, and have a fucking great time doing it. And that passion, like that just drives such a really entertaining podcast. You really buy into it and believe that these guys really enjoy all the crazy nuances that other people might just be dismissive of in some of these weirder outlier films. And that's why they've had such success with this. They've cultivated a large audience for the show, lots of support over on Patreon, which I think Brian even told us was going to help put his kid through college. (laughs) Yeah. So in this chat, Brian covers everything from starting the podcast, transitioning from a writer to a podcaster, and the success of the show and how they put it all together. You guys should definitely go check out Junk Food Cinema over on Twitter at Junk Food Cinema. And if you guys love movies, you'll love this show. Here's our chat with Brian. So I've been listening to junk food cinema for a while. and I'm sorry. I, yeah, it's fine. And I think the day that I realized that I was a huge fan was when, after listening to your Masters of the Universe episode, <laughs> I went out and, and rented Masters of the Universe and, and watched it and... I watch Masters of the Universe again with my wife and basically repeated all the jokes that you said on the podcast, which so was a So great you're time. single now is what you're telling me. <laughs> yeah, it was a great time for yeah. me. Uh-huh. And the show has inspired me to go back and watch a lot of these B or C movies that sure. I've missed uh, over my life because I, I enjoy the good movies. Um, What's that like? <laughs> it's all right. Liking good movies. It's good. Okay, I'm, sure, cool. I'm sure you like a few good Very movies. Yeah. yeah. All right. All right. Was that why you started the show, to get people to go back and experience these B or C-level movies that you love and to start, you know, talking about them again? Yeah, that's actually why I started the column that the podcast is based on. I started writing a column called Junk Food Cinema in 2009, which was just a way for me to write about the movies that I was renting en masse from my local Vulcan video And, you know, every every week I would just discover something and I'd get so excited about it that I wanted to share it with people. And so that was kind of the genesis of the the column was just the idea that I am in full awareness that these movies aren't necessarily good. Uh, But there is some sometimes you just have a craving. You have a a particular film itch that these movies scratch, uh, much in the same way that sometimes you just crave Jack in the Box tacos, even though you know that they're not good for you. Like someone in this room. Oh, I, I, maybe that was a very pointed reference. Yeah. Uh, so no, so that was no accident. <laughs> you live in Austin, God. Texas, Grant. We need to, this is a taco intervention. This was never yeah. meant to be a podcast. No. You got me. <laughs> taco Rito is right down the road, my friend. 
It's very cheap. I also love the idea that an intervention is just like a, a trap or a, a prank. You're like, oh, you got me. I guess I'll sober up now. Where's the camera? <laughs> you guys. I deserve it. Oh, you got nothing? You're just here to, I'm just, I'm to just, make jokes? No, I just wanted to talk about tacos. See that? <laughs> you guys actually, that, that was the bait and switch that I was hoping for. Oh, okay. Like, oh, yeah. Welcome back to Taco Cast. They are nice and greasy and clear. Mm. So Wait, what? let's talk about the origins of the podcast itself. Yeah. When did you decide to transition from writing the articles to going ahead and making a podcast? Yeah, I stopped doing the article for a little while, and I was really kind of bummed about it because of... Of everything that I did, every column that I had or every feature that I had had as a writer, it was the one that I felt the most ownership of and I was I, I took my time the most with and I was the most proud of. And so the fact that it had fallen by the wayside was really disappointing for me. And uh, a friend of mine uh, by the name of C. Robert Cargill, who I'm sure several of you listening to this probably know, know him, former film critic, current screenwriter and novelist. Uh, and Lieutenant of Megaforce, I'm required by law to say that. <laughs> he he and I were doing what we would normally do on a weekend, which was drinking a lot of beer and arguing about the best Italian post-apocalyptic ripoff movie from the 1980s. And yeah, you know, like humans do. And it, we reached a pitch where we were like, you know, it'd be funny is if we recorded this. And that's kind of when it, when the idea struck me to just do junk food cinema with sound and uh and he seemed like the perfect co-host i was floored that he agreed to do the show uh and we started that up you know in 2014 i think just like in my kitchen not really knowing what the show was going to be thinking that i would try to structure it just like the column and then it just kind of the more we did it the more i realized that there was a lot of room for um you know additional banter there was a lot of room for tangents or as we call them sidebars and yeah, I mean, that's, that's just kind of how we got started was uh, we were screaming about battle truck and decided to put microphones in front of us. You mentioned some of the, some of the catchphrases that you have on the show, like sidebar, there's Jurgen pause. Was it a conscious decision to like add those type of segments in, or did that just evolve out of your conversations with Cargill? I, I wish I could say that it was conscious. I wish I had that like morning radio DJ kind of foresight uh, like just some drive time shit of like, like, oh no, you've been junkified, <laughs> but no, it literally just came out of, um, out of doing the show and various topics that we would get on. Like, for example, Jurgen Posnow came from our seventh seal ep- or seventh sign episode. Seventh seal is like in the criterion collection. Right. Seventh sign. That's we- a good movie. Yeah. 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 No, we'd never touch that. But, uh, the one with Demi Moore and, uh, Michael Bean and of course, Jurgen pause now. And so we just kind of in the moment came up with the joke of if we needed to stop the show, we'd take a Jurgen pause now. You know, I'm joking it's that the movies that you cover are bad because some of them are very good, especially the Summer of 99 movies that you're covering. Yeah, that's that's the other thing is we kind of have on a couple occasions taken liberties with our core values, I would say. Um, but I, I've always kind of thought of the show as a haven for movies that maybe won't get the respect of, you know, say the Criterion Collection or uh, the AFI Top 100, even though, you know, you say that, but you you have to recall that back in the DVD days, the all or nothing long, long ago, both The Rock and Armageddon were in the Criterion Collection. So I guess that... Deservedly so. Yeah, that measure is also a little bit, that yardstick is also broken a little bit, but... Um, but yeah, so we've, we've strayed a little bit from, yeah, because obviously no one's going to tell you that the matrix is a bad movie. Um, but we also wanted to talk about 
the the trends of certain eras and you know we started that with our summer of 86 series and then we did uh, 87 and 88 uh and then we did uh this this is the class of 99 so we expanded it out from summer right to just talk about the fact that there was a very big change in film in 1999 and we wanted to kind of discuss it as a whole so we have kind of peppered the the matrix discussions with things like we literally this week did an episode on mystery men so i feel like that was a comfortable return to uh <laughs> our 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 spotlighting of of truly terrible movies we we do have a, a saying on the show that it's not a good movie but it's a great movie and that that to me is what mystery men is i'm always waiting for you guys to really have a hard disagree on oh, an episode yeah. Yeah, and yeah. I, I find that that rarely happens you yeah. rarely dog on these movies. You just kind of shower love all over them, which is kind of where the podcast trend is now. If you like How Did This Get Made and other shows about not great movies, you know, it's let's just make a bunch of jokes about how shitty these movies are. Sure. But you guys go in the completely opposite direction. Can you tell me about the decision to do that? And maybe sometimes you guys do show up and you hate a movie and Cargo loves it and you have to do it. And what's that like? So you're right. We made it was so the column. The, the point of the column was this is why I love this movie, and the point of you know our drunken discussions that that were the genesis of the podcast were that we both love these weirdo movies. So from day one, the conscious decision was we are going to only talk about movies that we love because there are podcasts like How Did This Get Made and We Hate Movies, and those guys kill it. They know exactly how to eviscerate a movie. They are, you know, top of their game. And then you go back even further, you can talk about Mystery Science Theater. Like, that well has been, uh, that, that well has been gone to several times and by people much funnier than, than I am, at least. Um, so that was one part of it. And the other part was, yeah, we just wanted to talk about movies we love. That was, that was where we had the most fun. It wasn't like arguing that this movie's bad or this movie is good, but like which movie of these awesome movies is better. Like, so we, we have always been about the idea of we're only going to talk about movies that we love. And as such, we also have a rule between each other that if one of us really does not like a movie, we do not cover it because that would lead to a one-sided discussion that isn't as fun. So there are movies that we have consciously not covered because one of us is not a fan of it at all. So you're, you're right. We don't really disagree on the movies, but that's curated. That's by design. Right. For the rest of this podcast, the topic is going to be V.I. Warshawski. Oh, okay. <laughs> oh, that, that, that one came up. Okay. I don't get that reference. Right. <laughs> so I think that was, you have a Patreon. We do. And you used to have a tier where listeners could pick a movie for you to discuss on yeah. an episode. And sometimes that doesn't always align with your core value or mission of the show. And I know you just tell me about that. Tell me how difficult was that? Yeah, that's the, the element I had not anticipated uh, when we created that tier. Well, the first element I hadn't anticipated is that so many people would take advantage of it. Uh, we are actually working our way through a back catalog of requests from people uh, because, you know, we we also try to have our series that we do and, um, and not interrupt that too much. So yeah, we have a whole back catalog to go through and, it, it both is and it isn't in line with core values because on the one hand, the people picking these movies, these are movies that they genuinely love. The problem is that they're not always movies that we genuinely love. And uh, VR Warshawski is a great example of, you know, this was that patrons, like they, they absolutely love that movie. And I sat down and tried very hard to be open to the movie and tried to find the things to talk about. And it, it's, it's the only time this has ever happened that in the middle of the show – 
Cargill managed to convince me that the movie was terrible. Like he, he convinced me, he opened my eyes to the fact that no, this movie is awful. And you can hear it in the show where there's a point where I just break. And I'm like, you know what? This movie is terrible. And I don't know what else to say. Um, but even in the process of doing that, uh, you know, I, I feel like we got a lot of fun out of just like, that movie kind of breaking us a little bit. And uh, and so, yeah, no, that was enjoyable. And, and the list of movies that other people have, it's actually the reason why I have reached out to the other page and be like, hey, if there's like two or three movies you might like us to cover, maybe give us a list right. so that we don't end up potentially with another Warsharsky, uh, which sounds like a curse word in and of itself, oddly. Um, or, or some kind of slur. I don't know. It's just, it's a very, it's a very <laughs> ugly word. Um, but yeah, that was, that was, it, it was a learning experience to say the least. So the Patreon has helped you keep the podcast going. I know you have a lot of patrons and I know you have a lot of support, uh, monetarily on Patreon. Mm-hmm. How did you cultivate that? Or I guess a lot of podcasters want to know, how do I get people to pay for this? Um, if not, so I can just make money off of it, but so I can just sustain, uh, this creative project. What was the thinking behind that? What was the strategy behind your successful Patreon? The strategy was to try and get past my crippling self-doubt by actually launching a Patreon. I think, honestly, that's the hardest step is, uh, I mean, I'm a Midwest kid, so I am I'm raised to basically like not like talking about myself and not not think that anything I do is worthwhile because, you know, that's that was that's some corn-fed uh, philosophy right there. Surprised you showed up today. Yeah, no, I, <laughs> I thought about bailing. Uh, <laughs> but it, it's one of those things that I was like, if people want to give us money, great. And if not, whatever. It doesn't cost us anything to have a Patreon. And I was bowled over by the response. And I still am as it's grown. I, I honestly, you know, I credit a lot of that. I will be, I'll be completely honest. I credit a lot of that to having a co-host who had also cultivated an audience prior to us, you know, coming together. I had, you know, people that had known me from other things, but he obviously had been around a lot longer and um, had a bigger audience. And I'm sure that that certainly aided uh, the growth of our Patreon. But it's gotten to a point where our our patrons are so generous that um, it's it's a big part of my income. It's It's a big part of my kids' daycare. And it's a big part of, you know, the food that goes on the table. So it's it's crazy to think that I, you know, there was a point where I had to step away from a lot of the film-related things that I loved to go back to work and kind of try and stabilize myself financially. And junk food cinema was the thing I held on to just so that I could have an outlet, just so I could do something, you know, film-related that was fun, that made me feel a little bit still connected to that community. And it has become the most successful thing that I've ever done. Just it, it, it was a thing that I was holding on to as a hobby. So I, I think, honestly, it's just getting over the idea, the self-doubt of like, well, no one's going to pay to hear this. Because that was my – I resisted Patreon for a very long time because I'm like, no one's going to pay for this podcast. But it doesn't cost you anything to put it out there and see what people are willing to pay for and and to let it grow. Because when we I, – I, you know, that Facebook has that like memory function where it's like, this is what you posted so many years ago today. And I remember – uh, I posted something like, oh, my gosh, we're up to, you know, $100 an episode and like freaking out about that. And then seeing where it's grown from there, it's just like, oh, yeah, if you just kind of continue to do what you do, continue to work on your product and continue to build an audience with social media and uh, interact with people, y- you can see that growth. It'll take time, but it it doesn't cost you anything to just, you know, put that tip cup out there and see who who contributes. You talked about the pod being the most successful creative project you've ever done. How do you measure that, if not just monetarily? 
Um, well, for example, we've been invited to, you know, cons and festivals across the country to do the show, which is just very, very humbling for me. I've gotten to go to some really fantastic places. Um, you know, we've been, uh, we, we, I've heard through people that, you know, filmmakers are listening to the show, which just kind of blows my mind. Uh, of course there is the Patreon, there's, you know, the followers we have on social media. It's just, you know, the, all the, all the metrics that I think most of us would use to, kind of see how our creative projects are doing. I've just noticed that with this particular project, and granted, it is the thing, I, I, I figured this out the other day, that it is also the longest job I've ever had. Like, like I tend to change jobs every, you know, three or so years, uh, just, you know, just in the real world, in the, in the big boy jobs. And this is something I've been doing for almost six. So, yeah, it's, it's gotten to a point where it's like, oh, this is also the... The, the longest job I've ever had, which is insane to say out loud, uh, but that, that's that's where I am in my life. Well, you show up, you do a thing, and you get paid, so I guess it's a job. It is a job. Yeah. It absolutely is a job. So you mentioned that you know, when you guys started, Cargill already had amassed a little bit of uh, a following, a little mm -hmm. bit of success. Yeah. There's a certain point where he contributed to a particular Marvel movie Yeah. that I would imagine dramatically raised his following and I'm wondering what impact that might have had with a, a, another audience kind of finding you and how they either integrated or um, affected the dynamic I guess yeah well our research shows that kids really like these Marvel movies so <laughs> um, it was no small boost for us when uh, Cargill you know was one of the co-writers on on Doctor Strange and yeah, that, that only increased his following online, which by and large sent more people our way just, you know, via his Twitter and sharing the show. Yeah, we definitely saw kind of, and, and it, it continues like to this, to this day, I, I continue to see people tweeted us like just discovered the show, you know, going back through the back catalog. And, and honestly, that, that is the most rewarding thing for me is when people are brand new, have, you know, no idea that we've been doing this for so many years and just start going through our old episodes and, and bringing up points like, like, oh yeah, on your pump up the volume episode, you said, and I actually have to go back and like, listen to it to know exactly what, because these these recordings are such a blur for me, and not just because Lone Star is an unofficial sponsor of every recording <laughs> session, uh, but because we do so many recordings, uh, usually at one time, and again, almost six years worth of content. I'm like, did I say that? Is that something I, is that a joke that I made? Is that a joke somebody else made? Is that a point that's, I don't, I, I have no idea. So, uh, but, it, but it is very rewarding that you have all of these new listeners who who come in late and you know because that's that's a big thrill for me as a podcast listener as well is when i discover something that has you know two three four years of, of back catalog if i really enjoy it that i can go back and just binge i mean it it's it's really uh really a thrilling experience so i i am thrilled myself when when new people come to our show and just start talking about old episodes well following up on that then when you have an audience space that can tend to get a bit passionate sure. about what you're discussing. Have you run into conflict with any listeners who like get a little bit like too upset about a certain uh, joke or criticism you've made about a film perhaps that they're really passionate about? You know, by and large, no, which is, is really kind of remarkable because, you know, Twitter exists and it right. is like a wretched hive of scum and villainy. But what I've what, and I think it's partially because the the whole mantra of our show being about film love and about just unbridled 
excitement and appreciation for f- films of all you know quality levels. I think that has generated and fostered a community that wants to like everything, wants to celebrate the movies they love. We don't get a lot of people talking about movies they hate in our Twitter feed because it's a Twitter feed full of like, oh my God, I can't believe you guys are going to be talking about The Cutting Edge. I love that movie, this, that, and the other thing. Like, it's... Yeah, I, I paid money to watch Battle Beyond the Stars because you recommended it <laughs> <laughs> at a theater. Oh my gosh, wasn't that a great screening? It though? was fun. Like that, yeah, that was man, good. in that little theater downtown in Austin uh, and at the uh, the Ritz. Like, yeah, man, that's that's the place to see that movie. And if you haven't seen Battle Beyond the Stars, that was like, I think the first episode we ever did was on Battle Beyond the Stars. It's a really Really interesting movie, really great story behind it, which is the other thing I always love talking about is not just the movie itself, but the stories behind it and the long, weird road to to production. But yeah, I think to to get back to your question, Stargrove, is we've built a, a community that is all about celebrating movies they love no matter what the movie is. So it doesn't allow for a lot of trolling. It's weird. It's it's I wouldn't say it's troll proof, but it's it's not the environment that a troll would even get any satisfaction from. I do get some satisfaction from it, and I'm going to keep trolling you. Okay. Well, th- well, you're good at it, so <laughs> I, mean, I appreciate it. Keep making the effort. Here. Hey, dude, if you're good at something, you know, you should you should get paid for I'm, it. I'm so. just a little hurt that you guys haven't recognized it. That's, that's all. That's, <laughs> no, and it's fine. It's I brought up the live event you did where you screened Battle Beyond the Stars, and you've done a few different live events, maybe interviews, screenings, and actual podcasts live. Mm-hmm. Um, can you talk about when you first got your your first invite to come do something live and what that was like and... What are some of the, uh, what are some tips you can give somebody for doing their show live successfully? That, I'm trying to remember. So we started off doing um, shows at conventions that we were going to anyway, like uh, Convergence in Minneapolis, for example. That was a, a convention that I had gone to multiple times prior to Junk Food Cinema. So it just seemed like a natural thing. So I just kind of reached out to the people in charge and asked if we could be added to the to the schedule. And they were very gracious about that. Uh, I think the first actual invite we got, and I, I may be mistaken on this, uh, was to host a movie marathon at the Alamo Draft House in Omaha, Nebraska. They reached out to us and you know said that they were going to bring us out and that we would um, you know host. And they they really went all out for us in a way that I just to this day cannot believe. They altered a, their menu to have a special junk food cinema menu. They had like donut burgers and fried Twinkies, and it was like it was fantastic, mm. um, you know. And we we just went in and we kind of talked about each movie, and they, um, you know, they made special T-shirts for it. And we, I was just like, man, you guys are. At that point, we didn't even have merch, so I was like, you guys are doing more work for this show than I am, right. and and I am just bowled over by that. And I think from there, you know, the people who put on these festivals, like that community, is very tight knit. So, you know, we'd be going to Fantastic Fest and, you know, that's how I met the, the people from Chattanooga Film Fest and then they invited us out and, you know, they know people at Cinepocalypse and, you know, that, that whole community is just kind of very close and so one domino falls, um, then, you know, Denver Comic Con reached out to us. That was an amazing experience. Um, you know, they, they treated us so well and, and it's, it, I, I really, I don't know how that gets started other than you just, you know, be a very positive presence on social media and, and put a lot of care into your product and some, you know, people will notice, but I mean, if you want to be more proactive than I am, which I also recommend, you know, you can, you can reach out to the the programmers of, of various festivals and events and just, you know, ask them if there's room on the docket, if they need any content. I mean, 
you know, most of the time, if somebody's trying to put something together and it's local to you and they don't have to pay for your travel, you know, they'll be very receptive to the idea of you coming and, and, you know, filling up some time so that they have more content. So, um, so yeah, I, I, I honestly have just been super lucky in the fact that, you know, these people have listened to the show and enjoyed it and reached out and, you know, we've already got some, it's crazy to say some tour dates, uh, for next year. I think we're up to three already for 2020. So nice. uh, it's Congrats. very exciting. Tour dates. I know. Yeah. Right? Like uh, a podcast rock star. I know. Like I need roadies. <laughs> I don't need roadies. We don't travel with it. I need roadies to carry all of Cargill's scotch. We know, we know how to plug things in. There you go. Yeah. All right. You're, you're hired. All right. Uh, yeah, speaking of Cargill, and both of you have, you know, you have lives, you have yeah. busy schedules, sure. and it seems like over the past six years, the podcast, in my view, has been very consistent. It's a weekly show, and it never sounds like you guys are phoning it in, even though you have your schedule. He's a writer. He's off doing a number of things. Yeah. How do you guys keep that consistency over the years, and is that tough to do? I would say it's equal parts dedication and a lot of crystal meth. It takes just so much crank to remain focused. Now, what it is is Grant knows about that. Grant, <laughs> Grant you've got kids. You know what are you guys meth. talking about? My teeth fall out. <laughs> <laughs> this is over when I say it's over. Uh, but it's uh, you know it is. It's really difficult because he's very busy. I am. You know, I, mostly just because of my my nine to five and the fact that I have two kids is what keeps me busy. Um, but we we find the time. What we do is we record, you know, once every two or three weeks and we record a batch of them, mm. um, you know, whenever we can. Uh, and then we record at Cargill's house to kind of help because I live on the other side of creation now. I live way out in the sticks. So we record at Cargill's house so that I at least know he will be there. And <laughs> so that that helps a lot is, is like, well, I know you're going to be here because you live here. Um, so... It's, but it is. It's, it's really tough, you know, and sometimes, like, for example, this week, our next episode of Junk Food Cinema is going to be on Ghost Dog, Way of the Samurai. Oh, I love that. It's, it's a phenomenal movie. movie. It's a weirdo movie yeah. and a, one that I think most people probably haven't seen. But it, that, because of the weird esoteric nature of that movie, means that it's impossible to find right now to mm-hmm. rent or buy or stream. You go to Amazon, try to buy it, you're going to have to buy either a, uh, a British Blu-ray or an out-of-print DVD for like $55. It's insane. I happen to have a DVD, and it's just been this comedy of errors of me remembering to bring it to work so that I can then drop it off at Cargill's house afterward. It's like it literally went on for like three days of me yeah. trying to just get him this disc. So, I mean, it, it takes a little bit of, <laughs> of folly, I guess, yeah. uh, to make it work. What are your considerations then for uh, accessibility of what you discuss? Like... A movie like that. These yeah. are like some obscure gems and you're like, well, I'm going to put this out there for an audience that might not be able to listen to this or see the movie that kind of we're referring yeah. to. That's, that's a really good question. We've covered movies before that literally were only available on YouTube. And, you know, what we found, crazy enough, is that while the episodes of ours that get the most downloads are the movies or are, are the episodes on like The Rock or Tombstone or Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, the ones that people hold dearest and talk about the most are when we turn them on to movies they'd never heard of. Mm. So it's a little bit of, of a give and take, because you're right. I mean, we're going to talk about Ghost Dog Way of the Samurai. There are going to be people telling us that they have no way to see it. You know, there are also some um, some internet swashbucklers out there who will probably be able to find it somewhere on a on, on the high seas of, of torrent sites. And, you know, if, if, there, if the movie's not being made available to watch in any other format, I can't really blame these people. But it is one of those things that for every movie like Ghost Dog, where it may not be the easiest to find. Then we'll do an episode on The Matrix. And it's like, I'm pretty sure you've heard of this movie, The Matrix. So 
Um, so it's a little bit of a give and take. Just sidebar, that is, in my opinion, one of Jin Jarmusch's best movies. The and Matrix, yeah. Yeah, The, yeah, Matrix. the Matrix is amazing. It's uh, great. Everyone's smoking in that movie. Oh, it's great. But <laughs> you can find every Jim Jarmusch movie in every format, even streaming, I'm pretty sure. And Ghost Dog, you can't find that you, anywhere? You can't. So I have a, I literally have an app that tells me, I can put in a movie title, it tells me everywhere you can rent it, everywhere yeah. you can stream it. And this one, it was literally like, you can buy it on the PlayStation Store. And so we were like, well, let's go to Amazon, see if we can buy it. And yeah. it was like every edition was out of print, except wow. for like the, I don't, I don't even... I don't even think it was British. I think it was like the Italian Blu-ray. Wow. And it really was just like this this crazy, insane access problem. So I literally had to just dig out my DVD copy and, and let Cargill borrow it. Uh, but incidentally, you do owe me 45 cents for using Sidebar. Uh, <laughs> that's a, a, an expression that is not at all mine. I, and I'll drop the, it in the Patreon. Yeah, just drop drop it in the tip cup. Um, but yeah, so, you know, it, it's a give and take. We we try to talk about, you know, the the big cheesy movies like The Rock. And then we also... Um, you know, like to dig into like the little weird stuff like Ghost Dog. So, you know, I'm, I'm always excited to do both. Where did that passion for, for those more obscure films come from that made you want to write that column, made you want to create this podcast? Living in Austin. Yeah. Like when I first moved here, and discovered Vulcan Video, that was a very eye-opening experience for me. I had been raised on some pretty mainstream stuff. I mean, the one exception is that my my grandmother used to go to garage sales every Thursday, and she would just buy VHS tapes. didn't matter what it was. If there were cheap VHS tapes, she would just buy them. So she had a closet that was, I kid you not, probably a, a like with a 10-foot ceiling that was floor-to-ceiling VHS tapes. So I would just, you know, we spend our summers with her and I would just grab movies. And that's how I saw like Death Race 2000 for the first time. And um, that's how I watched all of the like bad diehard knockoffs like Detonator and, uh, you know, Passenger 57 and stuff that I probably shouldn't have been watching as a kid. But I, I would get obsessed. I'd be like, oh, my gosh, I, I saw Die Hard for the first time at her house. And I'm like, I want to see more movies like this. So I watched everything she had that was like Die Hard. It was like Terrorist Takeover A XYZ. And then I moved to Austin and that opened up a vault of weird exploitation and foreign and, and B-movie. Did you it, go to the Vulcan when it was here on South, South Congress? I lived on – when I first moved to Austin, I had an apartment on South Congress. So mm-hmm. I could literally walk to Vulcan Video and I yep. would almost daily and, you know, rent these movies. And that's how I discovered uh, black exploitation. That's how I discovered um, the – actually the – Post-apocalyptic Italian knockoff movies was something Cargill introduced me to, uh, which is such a weird genre in and of itself where Italy would literally see what was successful in America and then do a $12 version of that and not give uh, a flying shit about intellectual property rights. So they would literally like, uh, for example, Escape from New York would be popular in the States. So they would come out with a movie called After the Fall of New York. That was just a Kmart, you know, no, 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 like a thrift store version of that. (laughs) And but what was always great about it is they would throw in elements that had nothing to do with it, like the the ape people and <laughs> you know uh, a robot that you don't know is a robot, like all these. What's things. our hook? Yeah, yeah. A, a, the robot had a hook, had a hook for a hand. Okay, so that was really interesting, uh, and yeah, it's just like so bonkers. But there is something about movies that are unafraid to be so goddamn weird that I just find fascinating. You know, for example, last night I was literally watching the Lost in Space movie, and I just kept thinking to myself, there is no way that this script started off life 
as a Lost in Space adaptation because there's so many things in that movie that have nothing to do with the show. Like, Dr. Smith was not the villain of the TV show. There was not a yellow monkey character named Blop, right? <laughs> like, you want to talk about adding a gleep glop to your movie, you literally call it Blop. It is a yellow CG monkey that looks terrible. Like, the CG in that movie is like, it's like a screensaver from an early, like, DOS computer. It is garbage. And, but yet, I am fascinated by the fact that Akiva Goldsman thought that these things were necessary to tell a lost in space story, which is why I'm like, there is no way that this script started off life as a lost in space script. Right. There was some other movie they were doing about time travel and spider people. Oh, because you know what else <laughs> is not in the lost in space show? Spider people. <laughs> That's one of my favorite aspects of the show that when you go into this unknown history yeah. of these movies and I get to learn a lot. Um, what is your... Um, prep process like and do you have people who help you who who research these films i have a great research team uh kevin mike and riley uh shout out to you guys who literally i will throw out a movie that we're covering and i what i did is i to make it easier on them because i need to preface it this way because otherwise i sound like an enormous douche uh but i actually made a template for research which is literally like you know the name of the movie put the cast members if there's anything else like any other movies that we've done you know make sure that that's noted and then like here's the place for the imdb trivia just so that it becomes really uh for the most part a cut and paste situation because i don't i I never want people to work too hard on this show if, if they're you know, not being forced to. So, you know, they, but they do amazing work and they'll come up with some really interesting stuff to add to that. And, um, I, I, you know, I honestly don't think I could do the show without their research. So I, I'm, I'm very thankful that, that we have them. So you have to do a lot of prep Mm -hmm. for watching this movie. How many times do you watch a movie beforehand? Is, is once good enough generally, or do some of them require repeat generally once is what i do uh, there are occasions where i'll go back and like listen to a, a commentary um because the whole thing is when we cover a movie that i know has been talked about on other shows i don't want to just rehash the same information um so that's when usually i'll go into a lot more about the production and and honestly i will say it's it's been kind of a a double-edged sword because i think one of the things that we've been doing lately and by lately i think the last two years or so is we've really been allowing ourselves the freedom to go on tangents and really just like dive into the minutia of whatever stream of consciousness is, is going on in our brain because, and the reason that I, that I think that it works is because that's exactly what happens with us when we're talking about movies. When Cargill and I talk about movies, we get really ADD about it. We'll be talking about this movie for a minute and then we'll go off and like, what about this movie? What about this? Oh, that's like when you got hit in the nuts with that football. What? I don't play football. It's just like, it, it's, it goes where it goes. And so I've tried to make the show sound as much like the conversations that you have with your friends about movies when you're all drinking beer as possible because that's how it got started. So I want people to feel like when they're listening to the show that they're just hanging out with those friends who drink beer and get way too loud about stupid movies because that's that's who I am and that's who Cargill is and that's that's when we have the most fun. So You know, it's funny about that, Mike, is uh, the first interview we did was with Rubio, who I do a beer show yeah. with, yeah, Beerus. Yes, right. And... The exact opposite, almost. It was like, I want to limit tangents when people are going off on those. I want to keep things streamlined Oh, that's, that's his style. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's the, his style. Like, yeah. But it's like, you know, whatever best serves the audience you're trying to cater to. Yeah. And I, I think that when you guys are doing that, it does make everyone feel like they're in the room with friends who are just having a fun, lively, passionate conversation. And then 
there's this extra layer of like how many obscure references you guys are just like casually dropping and if people follow along with them it's like even more enriching they feel like they're they're in the know of something that sure. that there's a little bit of a, a, a limit on how many they can catch. How how much can we talk about the Jim Neighbors Love Song CD like we did on last week's episode? Yeah, no, I get it. Uh, how much can we talk about what what it would be like if Warner Herzog were in the prequels? Like, there's. <laughs> A lot of things that we allow ourselves to explore in the course of, and it's actually funny. I've I've had tweets from people. It's like, wow, this, um, this discussion really wasn't so much about the movie. And I'm like, no, you're right. I, I can't fault you for that. Um, I, I also don't really feel the need to apologize because you know it's just we just kind of let it go where it goes. And I know that there are people that have uh, latched onto that and appreciated that. But uh, at some point, I feel like Ghost Dog is going to be a nice return to that because there's so much about that movie itself that I feel like we will need to discuss because, as you said, there are so few people who have probably seen it that I feel like we'll probably end up describing a lot of the plot of the movie and going into various scenes and like nuanced like character moments and it's gonna confuse people how important is it for maybe an episode like ghost dog for you to sell that movie to an audience who hasn't seen it like you guys should watch this movie oh no we we try very hard to sell everything we talk about like that is one of the things we will we will end certain shows with you guys just stop listening to this and go watch this movie like you need to see this film this needs to be in your eye sockets asap and and so we we do kind of consider ourselves advocates uh, for film. I mean, there are the films, of course, that need no advocacy. Again, I bring you to The Matrix. But then there are those movies like, um, you know, Thank God It's Friday or or Times Square or Ghost Dog Way of the Samurai, where it's like I have a, a strong conviction that a lot of people listening to that, because our audience does tend to skew younger. And I, you know, I just I just have a feeling I think the the law of averages would would dictate that a lot of people listening have not seen these movies. And I like to be, be that source, that that information source for you know teaching people about movies because throughout my life there have been people like that, and actually Cargill was one of those people for me. And I I want to be able to be that person for other people because when I was younger, the only source I had for discovering movies was Grandma's Closet, and you know going to the video store randomly. You know that was pre-internet age where movie sites existed. So, like, I, I just love the idea of being able to give back to people and be like, somebody somebody had to teach me about these movies, and then I've been brought on to do interviews as, like, a source matter expert of, like, some genre. I'm like, I would know nothing about this. I would not be sitting here right now, like, telling you about all these movies if somebody didn't force me to watch them or encourage me to watch them. So I really like the idea of, of being that for somebody else. So we have uh, this mystery science theater is going to be uh -huh. one of the most notable like like riffing on uh, a film. There's mm. riff tracks, of course. Here sure. in town, we have uh, mystery science theater uh, master, master pancake. pancake. Yeah. Um, there's how did this get made? A lot of these shows they will watch something and they go in with a certain a certain motive. Yeah. I mean, you're going in there with uh, a hope of, of of finding appreciation in what you're watching. They're often going in and going like, where can I find jokes and make fun of this? Sure. But I, I think that in the investigation, a lot of times there you can't you can't hate something necessarily unless you're also finding something that you love about it, right? Oh yeah. In these kind of investigations, you're you're finding new things that you didn't think you would normally in just a casual viewing of it. Mm -hmm. 
And that makes me kind of wonder, like, has this changed how you watch film, first off? And have you gone into something that you had a certain expectation of, like, how you're going to feel about this film? Because you remember seeing it when you were a kid or something. Sure. And then it's like, oh, <laughs> this is a lot better. Or there's a lot bigger problems that I hadn't even thought of. Oh, yeah. I mean, it definitely... Well, I think it's two things. One is that it makes me... It's changed how I look at modern movies because I have a lot of capacity for forgiveness if the movie is genuine and it's entertaining um, because of the nature of this podcast I I will I'll be thumbs up about it all day but it is also it's also given me a real hard line against laziness so because the thing is like when I watch movies by Italian filmmakers who had $12 in their pocket but they are just going for it. They're putting a demolition derby in a movie that's ripping off Escape from New York when that wasn't even part of Escape from New York and they're like they're just they're throwing everything they have into this film. Like I have so much respect for people who their reach far out, out exceeds their grasp that when I see the opposite going on in certain studio movies where it's just like you, nobody, nobody cared about this. Nobody like this is all slapped together. Um, it really does like my bullshit meter is is way up. And actually, that's why I like the Marvel movies. Is that the Marvel movies are kid stuff? I mean, it's it's like it's crazy spandex and like all of this silly supervillain stuff. But they are so committed to it, and they they really do put themselves into the movie. Like when I watch for this is a great example is when I saw winter soldier in the theater and they start playing the trouble man soundtrack. Trouble man is a movie we've talked about on the show and I'm looking around the theater thinking that it's some kind of joke and that like no one else is in there and it's just me. This movie is talking to because Holy shit, a Marvel movie is talking about the trouble man soundtrack. Like I was losing my mind. And that, that was a moment where I realized like, Oh, the people making these movies don't see it as a cash grab. The people making these movies care about the characters and they care about the stories and they care about putting their own personal touches into it. So I have all the respect in the world for that. So you'll never hear me being the guy that's like, I'm tired of all these superhero movies and blah, I'm going to Twitter. Because yeah, I have a, a massive respect for any genre of film, for any quality level of film, where the filmmakers are really, really going for it. Does Cargill like Marvel movies too? Is he? He's a- okay with them. Yeah. Um, <laughs> he's a lot of a lot of interesting things to say. No, I'm just he's yeah he's he's a, he's a superhero. Yeah. Yeah. I'm yeah. so I'm so happy we have you on the show because I've talked to a number of podcasters, especially in town, who say things like, "Oh, I'm just doing my podcast so I can build my influence and become an influencer." There's nothing about I fucking love what I'm doing and I fucking love what I'm talking about and talking to people about you know, my passion and your, what you guys are doing is, is the exact opposite. I appreciate that. And I, I mentioned my bullshit meter. Whenever, when, whenever anyone tells me that their job is an influencer, I'm like, that is not a thing. Mm-hmm. You, you, that's not a thing. Right. You just have social media. You, you're getting paid <laughs> to post pictures of yourself on Instagram. Like to me, like that's not a, that's not a job. I, I'm sorry. It's, I was, I was in a, a training class recently with a girl is tw- she's 23, I think. And when every when we went around and we're like you know doing that stupid first day thing, I'm like, tell us something about yourself. She said, "I want to be rich and successful by the time I'm 25." And I was like, "Okay." And I want to be, <laughs> I want to be an entrepreneur. Mm-hmm. And I almost had an aneurysm because I was like, "You can't." That's not the job. 
is not entrepreneur. Right. If you have an idea that you are trying to get sold or you're trying to get developed, that the idea makes you an entrepreneur. You can't just walk into a building and say, hi, I would like the entrepreneur training program, please. I hear you have an opening for entrepreneur. That's not a thing. <laughs> like it just, I could not wrap my head around. I'm, and sorry, I'm sorry. I'm, I, I'm getting off on a, on a tangent. I, I will start growing back to what we were talking about, which was what again? I'm sorry. No, I was just influencers. We just, influencers, yeah. yeah. So you're an influencer. No, I'm yeah. not. We understand. No, no. Again, the Midwest thing. I am absolutely not a fucking influencer. If okay, I'll put it this way: if what you want to be influenced about is like the movie Rad, then fuck yeah, I'm an right. influencer. Yes. If it's anything real and relatable and and practical in this world, I, I go seek influence from literally anyone else. <laughs> All right. While we're on your influencer status, God damn it. <laughs> Give me three episodes that a first-time listener should should fire up on Junk Food Cinema. Right on. Um, let's see. I think the Killer Clowns from Outer Space episode with Joe Lynch was a lot of fun. Um, we did... Joe Lynch, the uh, film director. Yes. Joe, Joe Lynch, film director, uh, probably listened. But honestly, Joe Lynch is one of our biggest supporters, and that always warms my heart. He's a filmmaker who I knew through the movies he made and now get regular direct messages from about the episodes that we do and like certain jokes that he likes and certain points that we made. And it's, it is, it is really like bizarre to me to think that like this, this guy who has actually made movies and worked with, you know, actors and, and is out there doing it is taking his time up listening to our show. That's, that's really uh, bonkers to me. Um, I think that you have to listen to the Never Too Young to Die episode to understand what the fuck we do from that point on. Uh, that is one thing with new listeners. They're like, what the hell is this Stargrove thing? And I'm just like, yeah. you need to listen to the Never Too Young. It's a thing. Don't worry. You'll, you'll get it. It's, it's like being at church and not knowing when to like stand up and kneel or, or like eat the bread or I don't know. I've, I've been to churches sometimes. Uh, <laughs> I prefer Popeye's. Uh, but then I think <laughs> dad jokes in the room with a couple of dads. Uh, yeah, I think those two episodes are, are pretty golden. I also am really proud of the episode we did on uh, Friday the 13th part six, Jason lives hmm. because I have a real like maybe absurdly academic love for that franchise. Like I can tell you exactly when certain certain eras and trends of that franchise have severed and when like this actor goes on to be in this other movie and actually Kane Hodder uh, is, you know, playing a character in this movie, but he's also Jason. And like, it's, I am obsessed with that franchise a little bit because that's the first one that I cut my teeth on as a horror fan. And I feel very strongly that part six is the best of the sequels because part six not only delineates between crazy redneck Jason and, you know, zombie killer Wraith Jason, but also is the most self-aware in an era where movies were just starting to become meta. Like the late 80s is when we started to get this trend of meta comedy and meta action movies, movies kind of turning the the gaze inward a little bit. And, and you know, at, at your own peril, disregard my words. <laughs> Jason Lives was at the forefront of that fucking trend. So it's it's one of those things that like I feel very strongly about that movie. And I'm I, I actually we got a message from Tom McLaughlin who directed it and he's like, You guys were right on. Wow. He's like, everything you talked about is exactly what I was going for in that movie, which made me feel like maybe I'm not a moron, which is is again the crippling self-doubt. Anytime anything tells me that I'm not a complete moron, I feel like, okay, I, I'm I'm doing okay. Brian Salisbury, influencer. God damn it. <laughs> Cool. I think maybe we'll definitely would love to have you on for another 
when we do our next season. Nice. Maybe drill down a little more on some some of these topics. Um, maybe we'll do it in Cargill's kitchen so he can be there. <laughs> <laughs> That's the only way he's going to be there, I will right. warn you right now. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Now, we could do that when the show inevitably comes, like, fully sponsored and corporate and, right. and I'm, I'm an influencer for Disney. And, yeah, I know it. <laughs> It's the dream. That's the dream is to right. sell out. Like, don't get me wrong, guys. I am I, I am not uh, – my moral compass does not always face north. If you would like to buy me out of my show for a large sum of money, uh, I, I'll give you my email address. I am always open to those deals. All right. Get that email address. <laughs> Thanks, Brian. All right. Thanks again to Brian Salisbury. You can find his show at Junk Food Cinema. Dot com. You can find us at createpod.co. Follow us on Twitter at createpod. We also. Oh, are you are you going to say something? I was going to maybe say something. I was going to plug more stuff for for us. Yeah, just plug it. Why not? We also are recording this out of Permanent Records Studios here in Austin, Texas, which you know we happen to own. This is our business. It's our business. That's pretty awesome. Permanentrcrd.com. Yeah, if you guys are ever looking to do a podcast or a little video series, please check it out. All right, I think that's all we got. Wait, who's up in uh, two weeks, Grant? Who are we talking to? Uh, we're going to be talking to Ivy Lee, who's doing a really interesting podcast called Fear of Going Outside, or FOGO Podcast. Fogo. It's going to be a fun interview. Stay tuned. We love you. We, we love you. <laughs>